Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. We are going to work together through the Word uh, in an effort to take down offense. To take down offense. It was the first, uh, the 20th century philosopher, Christian apologist, theologian, G.K. Chesterton, who once said, don't ever take a fence down until you know the reason it was put up. That's sage wisdom. Uh, And he was trying to communicate that it's not wise to remove a barrier that was placed with intention until you know those intentions. Don't just haphazardly remove barriers. Don't just haphazardly remove restraint. Because there might be a good reason why that was put there. This is very good advice. And he, back in the early 1900s, I like saying 1900s. In fact, I'm going to start saying that I was born back in the 1900s. (laughs) It just sounds good. Uh, But he was saying in the early 1900s, because he was an Oxford scholar, and, and his whole crowd was getting very progressive and very liberal with removing barriers and removing structure, and he was trying to give a word of temperance to try to help people understand there might be good reason why some of those traditions and standards have been set there. There's a purpose, and it's probably good wisdom for us today in the age we live in. We live in a time of fence removal, do we not? Just taking down standards and traditions and ways that we have traditionally said things to be true, Uh, but that's actually not my message today. Today I want to highlight... A fence that does need to be removed. That sometimes it's wisdom to leave something up, especially if you don't know why it was put there in the first place. But where would we be as human beings and in even Western civilization if we did not learn the art of removing some fences, such as slavery or women's rights? There are things that come along where we do need to remove that because it's keeping the good stuff from getting in. And today I want to suggest to you an offense, a fence that needs to be removed Based on the word of God, we have been tracking through the gospel of Matthew. And those of you who are just joining us today, maybe you're new to our church, it's the first book in the New Testament, and it's an eyewitness account of what Jesus came to do, did, and accomplished for us. And Matthew has been taking his story week by week, and we've been preaching through it chronologically. And we are in chapter 18, and last week, if you were with us, Chapter 18 is the fourth of five major sections of teaching of Jesus that Matthew records. He kind of clumps them in different sections throughout his story. And we're in the fourth one. And last week we looked at this thing that Jesus talked about that gets in the way, a a barrier as it were, to us experiencing the kingdom of God. Does anybody remember what it was? Uh Uh-oh. Pride. Remember? pride. Jesus said, unless you humble yourself and become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so we need to remove that barrier in our lives, that barrier of pride. And we need to learn humility to experience the kingdom. Do we remember now? Is that a refresher? If you weren't here, go back and, and listen to that one. It's, it's, it's important. But Jesus continues to add to his teaching about the way that we experience God and the way that we experience the kingdom. And he highlights another barrier, an offense, offense, if you were, if you, if you will. And, and let's just read the whole passage together and we'll dive in. I want to read a whole big chunk of scripture. So today, if you get nothing else, you can at least say, I read a lot of scripture. That's a win. 
But Jesus is communicating about what the kingdom's all about, what God is like, and how to experience the kingdom. Let's dive in. Verse 12. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, Truly, I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. And Jesus is talking about the nature of God, the nature of the Father, who is a reconciler. Amen? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Anybody thankful that you're the one? That he, he would pay the ultimate price to come and find you and reconcile, him to himself, reconcile you to himself. This is what Jesus is speaking about. Now he turns the onus of reconciliation from how God treats us to how we treat one another. And let's look at it. Verse 14, in the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. And if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Get real with them. Just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, then tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Notice the efforts he's saying that are on us as his followers to go and try to make amends and build bridges. Verse 18, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter comes to him, and he asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brothers? It's almost like Peter is listening, and Jesus is going from one concept to another, although these do touch one another. And Peter's like, wait, what about that whole forgiveness thing? It sounds like you're telling us to give quite an effort towards making, making amends and repairing bridges. What, what did you mean by that? And he comes and he asks Jesus, how many times do we need to forgive those who sin against us? And he said, up to seven times? I'm trying to impress Jesus. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say 70 times seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus gives a parable, and this is where I want to land today. It's like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. He demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could repay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is God's word. 
It's a tough saying, isn't it? And yet, these are the words of Jesus. And I want to talk for a few minutes today about what we do with our offense. What we do with our offense and, and how we can, in obedience to Jesus, take it down and forgive and remove the barriers that we build up or are built up between us and our brothers and sisters. Jesus is speaking about offense and he's assuming that you have them. I like during our prayer time earlier, Pastor Anthony led and he said, uh, we were praying about reconciliation. And he goes, you know what? I'm in a room like this here at the valley. I know there are strained relationships. How do I know? Because there's people in the room. We, as human beings, if you, you can't live very long on planet Earth and not come into conflict with somebody and have something done to you that causes a wound, an offense, where you are left hurt. Some of us, I, I, one of the things that is a painful privilege as a pastor is I get kind of a front row seat into, into the lives of, of so many of you. And so, so do our, some of our pastors, our campus pastors as well. And it's incredible to me some of the level of trauma that some of our very own church family members have gone through. Like deep, deep wounds, infidelity, people have been taken advantage of financially, people have been taken advantage of when they extended grace. We have family issues that are so deep and even generational, the baggage is substantial. We have people who have been betrayed by business partners. There's so many deep wounds we could highlight, and yet uh, Jesus doesn't qualify it. He doesn't say, would these people, you need to forgive, but these people on these exceptionally bad offenses, you don't have to. He just flat out says, you are expected to forgive. He doesn't qualify the type of offense. He just says, if there's an offense in your life, you have to take it down. You must remove it. And he makes no, assumption, no exceptions. Now, I want to give you a few reasons today why we need to take down offense, and I'm going to give you some tips how to do it. Now, here's a pro tip, though. It, it really is a beneficial thing as a follower of Jesus to just learn simple obedience. Uh, he doesn't mind when we ask why. And he, fortunately for us, he gave us a whole parable that's going to give us some clues as to why we need to take down offense. And I'm going to unpack that. But you know what? It's a pro tip. It's, it's like master class Christianity when we can just learn to say, if you say so, I'll do it. Amen? Now I'm going to give you three reasons why you should do it anyway. All right, three reasons why we need to take down offense and how to do it. Are you awake? Are you with me? I know this is touchy stuff, but listen, God's, even his hard commandments are unto life. He, he doesn't ask us to do anything with our, without our best interest in mind. And the same is true of this tough call that he's given us to forgive those who have offended us. All right, three reasons why we have to take down offense. Here's the first one. First reason you need to take down offense is this. You must forgive because unforgiveness is actually destroying you. It's actually destroying you. Let's, let's give a recap of the parable. Just keep it open on your device or in front of you. But Jesus said there was a man who owed his master, a servant who owed his master a substantial amount. And we're going to unpack that in my next point. But Jesus says he owed the master, and the master goes to collect, and he falls before him and asks for mercy, and the master shows him mercy. But then the guy goes out and in turn sees somebody who owes him just a fraction of what he owed the master, and he doesn't offer him mercy, but he actually tries to collect. 
In the end of the parable, though, we have this very guy, this wicked servant, the master calls him, bound up and thrown into prison. And that is a bit of an analogy, not just of the way that God will treat us, but the subtle thing that happens to us when we refuse to forgive. The irony is when we start to hold on to offense and we hunker down in it, it's uh, it's not them that gets punished primarily, it's actually us. It actually becomes us. When it comes to offense and forgiveness, it might feel like our bitterness and our resentment is hurting and punishing them, but the irony is the refusal to forgive actually only ultimately punishes yourself. When it comes to offense, it becomes a prison of our own making. We end up being punished and the offender goes away scot-free, is the irony of it all. It's, it's kind of tragic that we do this. Now, I'll give you an example of how this works. I'll give you a, an, an easy example behind the scenes in my life. I remember one time, uh, my wife and I, we, we, we packed the vehicle. The next morning, we were going to go on a family vacation. This was a few years back. And I don't even remember what happened the night before, but she said or did something to me. I was trying to pull it back up as to why I was so mad. I don't remember, but I was offended and angry at my wife. Has that ever happened in your relationship? Don't judge me. I was steaming. I went to bed mad, and she didn't even acknowledge it. She just went right to bed, just slept like a baby. That's not always the way it is, too, right? I'm there seething all night, and she's just, just like sleeping in heavenly peace. And then I get up the next morning, and I'm like, you know what? I am going to freeze her out. I, we're going to pack the car. We're going to drive the kids all the way to PEI, and I am not going to say anything. I'm just going to sit here and stonewall her, and I'm going to give her the cold shoulder until she figures out that I'm mad. And then she's going to come to me and she'll say, oh, babe, what did I do? And I'm going to say, and I'm going to say well, here's what you did. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. How can I make it up to you? And then I'm going to say, here's how you can make it up to me. And uh, anyway, never mind. <laughs> Let me tell you, because the married people are laughing, because it didn't, it didn't play out that way. I, I seized the whole way to Prince Edward Island and then continued to even after the kids were in bed. And then finally, just minutes before it was like our time to go to bed, she goes, is something wrong? And I go, why, yes. As a matter of fact, it is. And she goes, well, the kids and I are having a great time. Feel free to join us. Night. The only one who lost in that equation was me. You you, you build up these walls, and the irony is it's you that gets locked in. Now, that was a very superficial example of it. I don't even remember what it was. We've had a hundred of those instances since. It's gone both ways, so don't just judge me. It's not just me who can be petty in our relationship. But this this is the principle you need to understand. When you hold on to offense... You are pun- you're trying to punish the, the offender, but the irony is and the tragedy is that it only locks you up and robs you and imprisons you. Offense keeps you trapped while the rest of the world moves on. Have you ever noticed, have you ever had somebody, have you ever seen somebody or been with somebody, or maybe this was you, uh, that, that you, they see their offender and all of a sudden they're right back in that place Offense has this way of like freezing us at the moment of impact. 
It's like you were offended in 1989, and the moment you see that person, you're right back there. You can smell it. You can feel it. You can tell, you, you can tell them what you were wearing. Offense locks you in to that moment. Louis B. Smead, some of you heard this quote before. It's, it's very, it's bang on. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. That it was you. So the first reason you need to take down offense is do yourself a favor. Let yourself go. Sometimes we hold on to that offense and we're punishing that individual and they are completely unaware of it. And so the only one losing is us. Second reason we need to take down offense. And here's a bigger reason. This really gets to the heart of Jesus' parable. You must take down offense. You must forgive because when you don't, it denigrates the forgiveness of God. Now, let me unpack that word. I wasn't sure about that word, denigrate, so I texted my fellow wordsmith, Pastor Greg Hansen. I texted him this past week. He helps me kind of put these, these, uh, these words together. He's fantastic with words. And I texted him and I said, uh, Greg, when I say it is denigrating to God, what does that mean to you? And I said, doing, I'm doing some wordsmithing here. I'm not sure it works. He goes, reducing or belittling him, cheapening him. I said to him, would it work for you if I said you have to forgive because when you don't, it denigrates the forgiveness of God? And he writes back, yes. It's saying the forgiveness we offer is worth more than his. I wrote, okay, thanks. That's what I was hoping. You were a gentleman and a scholar. And he said, no problem. But I loved, I loved, <laughs> just a peek into the, day, the, day and day li- the daily life of Pastor Brent. Yeah, here it is. Uh, but I loved how he said it. When we don't forgive, we, what we are in effect saying is that my forgiveness and my offense is bigger and worth more than what God's is. We have to take down offense because it's ultimately denigrating to the forgiveness of God. This is what Jesus was getting at in the parable. Let's unpack the parable a little bit more. Jesus actually shows us the disparity of debt. He actually gives some numbers and some pictures for us to understand. Now, all this is an illustration, but it helps us understand what Jesus is getting at. First, he says that the the man, the the wicked servant, owed the master 10,000 bags of gold. Some of your translations say 10,000 talents. That is a a, a hyperbolic amount of money. It it represents many lifetimes worth of of substantial earnings. Uh, It's like it's $100 billion, right? Like that's that's what he's getting at here. It's it's a fictional amount of just an astronomical amount of money that the servant owes the master. Are you tracking? Then he gives us the, the clue that the, the, the servant was owed by another person just one denarii or a hundred silver coins. So it's like five bucks, a very superficial amount. And what Jesus is doing is he is contrasting how substantial the amount of debt the servant owed the master and how silly that looks in relationship to the debt that he himself was owed. And he wants you to get these, the scales in mind of how much more important and how much more substantial is the debt that was owed to the master. And that he forgave. And how silly it looks to the master that the servant did not forgive in kind. I forgave you all that debt, the master said. And then you go out and you can't do the same? How does that work? And what Jesus is wanting us to see is the gap 
between human indebtedness and the debt we owe a holy God. And it's super important that we understand that because this is actually at the root of our ability to forgive. I love how N.T. Wright puts it in his uh, commentary in the New Testament. He says, from God's point of view, the distance between being ordinarily sinful, what we all are, and extremely sinful, what people we don't like seem to be, (laughs) is like the distance between London and Paris as seen from the point of view of the sun. Doesn't that sort of start to put the scope into perspective? It's like, it's so much that they're they're so bad. And then he's saying in relationship to the glory and holiness of God and the mercy and forgiveness of God, anything that you and I are asked to forgive, it's, it's so small in comparison now, I know some of you are thinking, and I know, that, I know you're thinking this because I think this. This is, a, this is a train of thought. It's natural. Is okay, well, I've never done to God some of the things that some people did to me. How is the weight of sin against God so much more substantial than what was done to me? That's, that's a somewhat logical way of thinking. However, it, it shows that we aren't grasping the holiness of God. A couple ideas as to why. A sin against God is so substantial. Uh, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, anybody sinned in this place before? If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. Welcome to the club. <laughs> Everybody sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It, it, we all have sinned against the holy God. And when we sin against the holy God, no matter what the sin was, it's an infinite debt. Here's why. First, When it comes to sin, I think this will help somebody, the measure of sin has to do with the one sinned against. What makes a sin so grievous and so weighty is the worth of the one sinned against. For instance, uh, a person's purity is indicative of a a particularly heinous sin. Like This is why abuse against a child is so heinous in our minds because they are pure. They are innocent. And you are bringing a sin, you're bringing sin into that innocence. Does that make sense? God, there is no fault in him. He is 100% pure, 100% holy, 100% innocent. So any sin against him is heinous because of his purity. Does that make sense? It's also a big deal because of his majesty. There, there's something about desecration of, the, of beauty. Uh, we, we know this to be true in the environment. If, if somebody put a heaping garbage pit over top of a beautiful work of God's creation, there's a thing inside of us that goes, oh, that garbage on that glory just doesn't seem to work. And this is a, another reason why the weight of our sin is so substantial when it comes to what we owe God. It's because of his beauty and majesty. A sin against the majesty of God is so substantial. It also has to do with his authority. How many know that the the punishment to a sin against me would be different than the punishment against Kim Jong-un? Is that right? Like if you came up and slapped me today, I'd say, how rude, don't do that again. Uh, But if you went up and slapped Kim Jong-un, you'd probably be strapped to their next nuclear test. Right? Right? And it has to do with, with the individual, the authority of the individual. And then ultimately, it has to do with the inter- eternality. A, a sin against me 
is temporary. A sin against God is an eternal reality. So when it comes to what you and I owe God, when it says the wages of sin is death, and the Spirit of God has to show this to us. But, but when we sin against God, it's a sin against the purity, the holiness, the majesty, the eternality, and the authority of God Almighty. So the weight of that sin is all that he is. Does that make sense? Put simply, what we owe God is a debt we could never pay. And, and there's a clue in this, there's a clue in this story where the man says to the master, he's, he owes a hundred bags of gold. And he says to the master, I'll pay it all back. Did you catch that? I'll pay it all back. Just let me go and I'll pay it all back. He did not understand that he owed multiple lifetimes to the master. It wasn't a debt that he was going to be able to repay. He was under the delusion that he could repay it. You, you following? And so that hindered him from letting go the, oh, the thing that was owed him. I wonder if the guy didn't run out and see the guy that owes him and say, well, I better start collecting because I owe the master an awful lot. So you better give me my five bucks. This is kind of a clue into what's going on in, in his mind, according to Jesus. It's not, though, that he was just under the delusion that he could repay. I think he was under the impression that he still had to. And this is a real clue into how our hearts work. But I wonder if he just didn't really believe that the master actually forgave him all that debt. That it was just something that he was not able to wrap his mind around. So he runs out and he starts collecting. Isn't kind of our, our offense and our unforgiveness a way that we, we collect what we're owed? And this is what Jesus is getting at. This guy clearly hadn't grasped the forgiveness he was given. So he was unable to give that kind of forgiveness. It's ultimately bound up. If you, if you really knew how greatly you've been forgiven, you wouldn't struggle to forgive. That's the point of this whole parable. This is what he's saying. If, if you've received forgiveness, unlimited forgiveness, undeserved forgiveness, and it's truly hit your heart and you truly believe, I have been forgiven more than I could ever repay, it is incongruent then to go out and say, pay me what you owe me. Jesus is pointing that out, that, that these, these two things are at odds. You can either live as someone who is forgiven and thus forgive, or you can continue to work in that economy where you're going to pay off your debt before God and everyone's going to pay off their debt to you. But you can't do both. C.S. Lewis said it like this. This is, this is an incredible quote. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And if you are struggling with the power to let go of offense, and I am, not, I am not downplaying the level of offense that some of you have lived through, humanly speaking, but in relationship to the holiness of God, the weight of his worth completely supersedes anything he is asking you to do. He has already forgiven you an amount that is so much more than he, than he is expecting you to forgive someone else. And he's given you that grace. Here's the hard truth. It's like, this is the hard truth? Like, yes, it's all hard truth, but it's good. 
If you struggle to extend grace, hear me, Charlottetown, like, like somebody online, one of our campuses. If you struggle to extend grace, this is a sign that you likely have struggled to receive it in the first place. You can't give what you don't have. And so if you're not able to say, I forgive you, I wonder if you have really heard, I forgive you. If you have a hard time letting things go, if you have a hard time letting it go, turning the other cheek, if you have a hard time forgiving, you might really not believe that you are forgiven. If you had the grace of God in your heart, it will inevitably throw out, uh, flow out of you. The gospel ultimately is the power to forgive. Let me say it like this. You can't cling to offense and to the cross of Jesus Christ at the same time. Does that make sense? You, you can't do both. You can either say, I need mercy and I'm going to live under the mercy of God and I'm going to stay right here and then turn around and try to take another guy by the throat. This is what Jesus is trying to show. Let me say it like this. If you want, to, you want something to tweet or write down in your notes, or this is too ambiguous, here it is. The gospel of Jesus, the gospel of God's grace, disarms us from the right and uproots us from the urge to cling to offense. Oh, man, that was so important and I dare say good. The gospel of Jesus disarms us from the right and uproots us from the urge to cling to offense. What, let me say it like this. At the cross, uh, Jesus is the victim, not you, correct? We can't both be the victim. Uh, at the cross, I can't be offended anymore. I'm the offender. Amen? At the cross, I cannot be judge, jury, and executioner. That's already been done. The gospel disarms us from the right and uproots us from the urge to cling to offense. So, what am I getting at? What is Jesus getting at? If you're struggling to forgive, it's a gospel issue. It's a revelation of the glory, the holiness, the greatness of God, and the great grace that he's given issue. The gospel gives us the power to forgive. Here, here's the third reason why you need to take down offense, and then I'm going to give you some tips how to do it. You must forgive because unforgiveness is disqualifying you from the forgiveness of God. Just full stop. It's pretty self-evident what Jesus is getting at. He says, this is how my father will treat you. You know, you read scriptures in like Romans 8 where it says, what can stop the love of God in Christ Jesus? Can trouble or hardship or nakedness or famine or sword, can any of these things separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? No, we are more than conquerors, but there is something Jesus said that can separate us. Our own unwillingness to forgive. Like this is one of those hard texts where Jesus says, unless you Forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is how my heavenly father will treat you. He casts him out. He says, we're done. And just full stop. And, and there's a handful of like really tough things that Jesus says. And I'm glad that, because it's true. 
But one of the hardest ones is like Matthew chapter 7 where he says, you know, many on that day will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not, did we not, did we not? And I'll say to you, I, I never knew you. And I was thinking about that one the other day and just wondering, like, I wonder if one of the things that gives us the illusion that we know him, but we really don't, is that we live our life with walls of offense. And we're actually strangers to Jesus in ways that we never realized. Hear me on this. Forgiveness is not about the amount of grace we... It's not primarily about the amount of grace we show others. It's primarily about the amount of grace we want for ourselves. Jesus said the, the measure you give is the measure you receive. God has given you a spoon of forgiveness. And if you won't dish that out for others, you're not dishing it into yourself. The measure you give is the measure you receive. The amount of grace you want for yourself is connected to the amount of grace you'll give others. Let me say it like this. Uh, I, I just have it underlined in my notes. Why don't, you, why don't we zoom in on this together? Because this is something I wanted to say to me. Look, get the camera. We get right in there. I can't afford to be stingy with mercy. Why? Because I need it. I, I can't afford to not forgive because I need forgiveness. And this is ultimately what Jesus is, giving, is getting at. You must forgive. It's urgent. Your life depends on it. So I don't know who needs to hear this today. I don't know why this message landed on this day. I almost preached this message the last time we were in Matthew. And I was going to jump ahead for, for a reason. But today... I don't know who's hearing this that needs this, but like the Lord is saying, you must, you must choose forgiveness. Your life depends on it. Now, I know some of you have been deeply hurt with deep wounds. You, you have to forgive. Now, here's the question. I want to I kind of land the plane here. I want to get practical. How do we take down offense? How do we do it? I have three, three things for you. You ready? I'm almost done. Not going to be long today. This is very, it's a very clear message. We could have just read Jesus' parable and sent you home. You'd have figured it out. But let me give you, let me give you three, three things to take down offense. You ready? In order to forgive, three realizations you have to have. First is this. Forgiveness is a personal payment. To forgive someone is to absorb the debt you are owed. The Greek word for forgive is the word telestai, which means suffer it unto me. I'm taking it on myself. That's ultimately what it is to forgive. So when you forgive somebody, you are assessing what they owe you. Uh, that's not the, like the forgiveness Jesus is after for us is not to just turn a blind eye and say it didn't matter, didn't hurt, not at all. It very much counts the cost of what happened. And yet it assesses the debt and then assumes it, absorbs it, takes it on. It is to say you owe me, you hurt me, you owe me no longer. I'm letting go of your indebtedness. And this is ultimately what Jesus did for us, amen? Amen? Like the cross is the assessment of our debt to God. The cross says we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and justice must be served. But the cross is also the assumption of our debt. Hallelujah. Where God took on himself what we owed him. 
The cross says you have sinned against God and God has forgiven you. Breathe that in. So first, it's a personal payment. Second, it's a repeated process. I I like the translation that says 70 times 7. It helps us understand when Peter came to Jesus and said, how many times do you forgive? Seven times? The, the Jews at that time believed that three times was fair to forgive, and then anything after that was like, you don't have to. That's why Peter was like, I'm going to impress Jesus. I'm going to say, I'm going to double it and add one, seven. <laughs> and Jesus, in effect, is saying, if you're still counting, you're doing it wrong. It, it, it's a process. It's something that we do repeatedly. And, and it's very similar to how we pay down large debts in our lives financially. Uh, I have debt on my home that is so far from being paid off that I don't even think about the amount. I just pay it over and over again until I'm old. <laughs> but I, I, I can stand here in victory, though, and say, I remember, though, the first 10 years of Melanie and I's marriage, we paid off our student loan debts for 10 years. Every, every week or every month, just paying off that payment. And then one day we woke up and poof, it was gone. And and it's very similar. I'm not trying to make light of the debt that you are owed by somebody because some of you have deep debts, family wounds, and maybe church hurt or maybe business wounds. All those things are real. And God is not saying they aren't. However, he's saying our job is to continue to make payments on their behalf. It's a repeated process of us making payments. How do we make payments? How do you make payments on the debt of offense that you are owed? Here's a few ideas. One, refuse to collect. What do I mean by that? Refuse to collect. Isn't unforgiveness one of those things that we, we're just trying to get back a little bit what they took from us? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to freeze you out and be angry, and it's just a little way we pull back. Or we're cold to them. It's a way we collect. We ignore them. We shun them. We cut them off. Now, some relationships aren't safe, and you need to keep distance, but that doesn't exclude you from forgiveness. We gossip about them. We warn others about them. Hey, just letting you know. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) We're vindictive. We refuse to collect. How else do we pay for them? We make deposits. That's even harder. Jesus said, tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's a deposit. We be kind as much as possible. We refuse to root against them. It's a payment. Refuse to talk about them, talk negative about them. It's a repeated process that if you keep doing it over time, the debt gets paid down to where it's free. Then number three, it's a personal payment. It's a repeated process, and it's through a borrowed power. I am simply in faith extending to others the mercy and grace God continues to give me. Here's the incredible part of what Jesus is actually getting at, is he's saying, like, the master is giving you all the funds you need to let it go. Isn't that an incredible thought? It's like, I gave you infinite, infinite payment. Your debt is free. You are free to let it go, to let it go. Forgiveness is rooted in the fact that I know I've been forgiven. And I'm able, as the mercy of God has been given to me, I'm able to give it to others. The grace that Jesus has given us is grace that he wants us to give others. And here's the beautiful thing. The Spirit of God 
actually helps you do it. Romans 5.5, 5, the love of God has been poured out into our spirits. Literally, God's spirit wants to enable you. And how many of you know, sometimes like, like it's faith over feeling? Yeah? Don't wait for you to feel like you forgive them. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a decision. I choose to not collect on you today, to collect on you today. I choose to remove that offense and take it down. It's a choice. One of my favorite minds on forgiveness is Corey Ten Boom. Anybody familiar with that name? Uh, she was a woman who experienced atrocities, but she said this, forgiveness is the key which unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. If you have ever seen a country church with a bell in the steeple, you'll remember that, the bell, that to get the bell ringing, you have to grab and tug the rope a while. And once it's begun to ring, you merely maintain the momentum as long as you keep pulling. The bell keeps ringing. Forgiveness is letting go of the rope. It is just that simple. But when you've done so, the bell keeps ringing. Some of you, the bell's still ringing. Momentum is still at work. However, if you keep your hands off the rope, the bell will begin to slow and eventually stop. Forgiveness is, in other words, refusal to grab the rope. Refusal to pull on that again in your heart. And in your mind, it's a decision to just say, I'm not, I'm not, I won't, I won't. Corey Ten Boone is a uh, particular expert on the area of forgiveness because her family in the Second World War, uh, they were a Dutch family and she and her, her parents primarily and all of her siblings were thrown into a concentration camp, uh, Ravenbrook, for the crime of hiding Jews from the Nazis. And so they got punished along with the Jews, were put in a concentration camp, and she uh, lived through the horrors of that. But she speaks to the ability to forgive like nobody else. And I want to I kind of bring this sermon to an end by playing you a clip of her talking about forgiveness. Let's cue that up. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin, and there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Boom, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel aufseers in concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian. I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done, but then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Tambom, will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister him but when I saw when I experienced that I could not forgive suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness but I was not able I could not I could only hate him and then I took one of these beautiful texts 
one of these boundless resources, Romans 5, 5. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. Gets me every time. Uh, can you forgive? No. But he can. I just really have the sense today that there are some people that are, you're still like holding the rope. And the Lord wants you to know like you're only ultimately robbing yourself. And he wants to give you the power today by the love of God and, the, and the, the presence of the Holy Spirit to actually just let you let go. Maybe today for the first time, just I'm choosing, they owe me, and I'm choosing forgiveness. Uh, for some of you, I felt like there was a, a reminder that needed to happen where you have been forgiving and it feels like it's not working. There will come a moment and a day where the feeling catches up to the faith. And that you would just keep I choose not to collect. I choose to forgive. I don't know what the offense is in your life, but God does. And he's not qualifying it or saying that, hey, that particular thing we're going to let stay there. He's saying that you have to take it down, but I will fund it myself. I love what she said, that the love of God was great enough for the hate in my heart. And that's true for you. Would you stand? I want to pray for us, all of our locations. Just with, uh, let's just do this. Just, just hang tight. Don't, don't leave. Just prayer team's going to come, but just to kind of wherever you are, just, like, just, just in a sacred moment, just between you and God, but you just bow your heads, close your eyes. And just if, if the Lord's been speaking to you that, that you've been harboring offense and he's asking you to like take it down, would you just like, Almost as a symbol of surrender, just like raise your hand up and say, I'm just, I'm just letting that go today. I'm just choosing. There's power in your like outward posture. Yeah, just letting it go. It's awesome. There's hands all over the room at the valley, I'm sure, at the location. Yeah, Lord, so you see these hands. Uh, Lord, just to speak your freedom. Would your love just fall in their heart, Lord, even as they remove that barrier with just the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God begin to overwhelm them even today? Lord, would there just be a, such a weight of realization of how greatly they have been saved and forgiven? Would just the weight of your glory and goodness rest in hearts and minds today? And would it overflow into the ability to forgive today? For the rest of us that all have offenses in our lives, would, would we just today, Father, before you, we hear your word and we just, we just say, amen. Help us, Lord, to love. Lord, help us to not build up offense again. And Lord, help us to continue to repeat the process until the day comes where we don't even feel the hurt anymore. But Lord, I just pray your freedom over your people today. 
Lord, I pray for a fresh work of your grace. Lord, I pray for a fresh revelation of your love and the absolute wonder of the forgiveness that you've given to us. Lord, would you help us just sort of rightly order the scales in our world and to see that we've been given far more than we ever are asked to give. So Lord, we just pray right now, I pray in Jesus' name over King's Church, a grace in this season for reconciliation, a grace to release offenses and to not pick it back up, a grace to keep our hands off the rope of the bell. And Lord, I pray for a grace for restoration. Lord, I pray even for families and marriages that are uh, struggling or estranged. Lord, I pray just for healing. Lord, I pray for a grace to move first in Jesus' name, that we wouldn't wait, but God, that we would be reconcilers even as you are a reconciler, that you would leave the 99 in search of the one. Lord, would we be like our Father in that? And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen.